0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast and Radio Show. Today, we're speaking with Riggs Eckleberry from Origin Clear. He's developed a way for companies and individuals to treat their own wastewater without having to use municipal systems. Riggs, I want to welcome you to the show. I appreciate it. So, tell us what is Origin Clear?
1: So, Origin Clear is a company that is targeted at the new trend of businesses doing their own water treatment. The old paradigm of, you know, the city's going to take care of it for you, don't worry, just flush it, you know, get rid of it, really only works for the consumer anymore. The um, increasingly industrial customers, residential developers, uh, agricultural operators are being required to do their own treatment, um, either because of the lack of infrastructure, water mains are breaking. Unfortunately, it means that the municipalities kind of throw out their hands and go, you're going to have to pre-treat the water, which creates a whole new breed of water user. And these are people who, it's not their core business. If you're operating a tannery or whatever, well, you're in the business of tanning leather. You're not in the business of cleaning the water, mm-hmm. which means that you really want it to be solved quickly as a black box. You know, it can't be a heavy problem and the decision process is very, very quick
0: So are there rules in the U.S. about water that has to be cleaned before it gets to the municipal center where it would be cleaned again there? So like you use a tannery, for example, or like a brewery or something. Do they have an obligation by law to clean their water?
1: Well, they didn't used to. What's happening is there are more and more stringent regulations. And the municipalities, which are, again, underfunded, are passing on those requirements. So if you're a heavy arsenic producer, they say, well, you need to get rid of the arsenic. We're not going to do it. And uh, and that really makes sense, too, because it's a major, major reason you want to treat your water where you are, especially in, in drought-intensive regions, is you can reuse the water. If you send it downstream to the city, well, they'll just send it wherever. Um, you know, they'll treat it, but they won't send it back to you. That's done. So really, you know, there's a reason why America is, I think, dead last for recycling, which is like literally 1% of our water whereas you have Israel at 90% and everybody else somewhere in the middle, we really don't recycle our water because, of course, we've got so much of it. But then I heard the other day that we had some droughts. And in fact, places like California have very punitive water rates, so much so that you can reduce your water bill tremendously if you'll just recycle.
0: Okay, so you have a lot of water filtration systems I saw on your website. So you do things Mm -hmm. like you clean up the bad stuff from farms or from industry. And then I think you also have systems that will take that water, but then also make it into drinking water. Is that right?
1: Right. Well, we have developed – first of all, we spent many years developing a breakthrough technology, and that's called electro-water separation. And I was just writing about that this morning in my latest uh, CEO update, where uh, this is the only technology that's going to work in the super high um, volume cleanup of, for example, frack water, which clogs all the membranes. And so we're entering uh, the Permian Basin to uh, clean the water used to um, wash the sand. So the sand that's used in the fracking comes back up. It has to be cleaned. And the water that cleans it has to then be cleaned so it can be reused because they are out of water. And electro-water separation is a way to do this without filtration. Then we came up with a way to oxidize the water. And that's anytime you disinfect water, you're essentially oxidizing it, uh, bleach, etc. And this is a way to do it electrically without all the byproducts of bleach uh, at a very high level. So our core technology is very, very cool we license it. We don't actually produce our own products with it because it always has to fit into somebody else's system. So if you think of Clear as being two sides of the house, one side is this killer technology basically zapping the water either to remove the solids in the case of fracking or to further purify it in the case of pure water. And then the other side of the house is these cool modular packaged water systems that are delivered um, as black boxes, and they have more conventional treatment inside. It's more about, you know, imagine, you know, like, I don't know if you're as, <laughs> as old as I am, but back in the 80s, we had Compaq first came up with the luggable computer. Well, that was a breakthrough. It led to the laptops, but they didn't change the inners very much. They just packaged the outside, and that's our modular water systems business, and frankly, that is taking off.
0: Cool. Have your systems been only in America, or are they in other countries as well?
1: The whole uh, electro-water separation is marketed internationally through licensees. We have a network of licensees, and we have a huge success, for example, in Spain, which is the third largest producer of pork in the world. And it um, is a a big user now of our our technology to clean the manure effluent. Secondly, um, the marginal water systems business, is really being done in the U.S. So where we sell directly, it's in the U.S. Where we sell through licensees, it's international. The core issue with water in the world is not enough as if it's being treated. Only about one-fifth of the water worldwide is being treated. Now, in developing countries, developed uh, developed countries, or like U.S. and Canada, we treat more like 70% of it. In developing countries, it's more like 5%. So it averages out about twenty percent. So we really need to be treating five times more water than we are today in the world if we're going to be good stewards of the water. And that implies a five times larger water industry. So it's currently one trillion dollars, it needs to be five trillion. But that's not going to happen by building a bunch of billion dollar central plants because as you know, it takes forever to get these things permitted. Nobody wants them in their backyard. Nobody has the money for them. The solution is to do it with the, you know, thousand points of light with all of the remote edge businesses treating the water themselves. So that's really for us the big game changer in the world is whatever technology you use. And people should use our electro water separation. The trend is definitely towards businesses doing their own treatment. And that is huge right now. We think that is as big as you know, Tesla coming along and revolutionizing the water industry, uh, the car industry, this trend is coming along revolutionizing the water industry. if people don't understand it yet, but it's happening.
0: But with that, you would need government regulation, would you not? Or would there be enough incentive for businesses to treat their water? Wouldn't they just not treat it if they didn't have to?
1: Right. Well, there's a combination of they have to because, as I was related to you, the municipalities increasingly are going, Uh, I don't have the capacity, you have to treat it. For example, we know a brewery that wanted to double its capacity, and the city said, sorry, you can't do it. Well, when you're a businessman, (laughs) you're faced with that, you have a choice. Either don't expand or do it yourself. And that brewery ended up doing its water treatment itself. It's happening increasingly that um, limits to capacity are being run into by businesses and industry And in many cases, it makes financial sense. In California, for example, if you build a 200 home water, I mean, um, 200 home development, you can pay for a half a million dollar water treatment system for all your, your flush water and not hook up to the sewage because you'll be able to sprinkle the lawns and the golf course and it pays for itself in a year because of these punitive water rates. So where water rates are very punitive, it makes financial sense and then where you have to well it makes survival sense.
0: Yeah. And with the with the modular systems so you're saying that there's no filters because my the filters that I know have like a membrane and it can only process a certain amount of water and then you'd have to throw those membranes in a landfill basically. So the modular units that you have don't need those filters, right? So a- well,
1: I mean, when I say modular, that's just the, the package, the envelope. It can have anything you want. It can have the filters. It can have the non-filters, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're talking about two different worlds here. One world is I need um, I need my own – I need to be independent. I need to cut the cord or cut the sewage line, so we say.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: is the modular systems. But, but whatever goes in them depends on the requirement. But you're absolutely right about membranes. Is that they have a they have a life now? They can be cleaned, they can be flushed out, and there's a there's a very busy secondary market in reusing membranes. But still, it's expensive. You know, membranes are not cheap, and it's a reason why there's you know a lack of water treatment in the world. And in places like India, it's, it's a disaster. I mean, yeah, India is spending 90 billion dollars on, on a hydrological project up in the highlands, but meanwhile, you know, 20. 3,000 people die each year who are, whose job it is to clean the sewers by hand. So mm. it's just, it gets so bad. And, yeah. and that's where the basic water treatment is just not going to happen at the center anymore. You know, California, we're supposed to get a high-speed train. We're never going to get a high-speed train. It'll become self-driving cars, right? Everything is going to go to the individual level. We no longer build the big infrastructure. In these countries. Now, does it happen in Saudi Arabia? Perhaps, you know, uh, they, they, they're building huge things, but that's unusual. The big infrastructure projects are not being funded in the West.
0: That's very interesting and a good point that you make because, you know, you look at the, the 20s and around the war periods and there was so much going on with the Hoover Dam and with all the highways and your national parks in America and, and everything. And you're right, I don't think we see those projects Anymore, do we?
1: Yeah, and and so we think that that you know when when I was first talking about this in 2016, I was kind of like shouting in the wilderness. But more and more, (laughs) it's happening. This last week, we documented our installation of an automotive dealership in Pennsylvania that wanted to move, had to expand. They moved to uh, cheap land that could not be connected to sewage. That's why it was cheap. Mm -hmm. And so then they spent 130 thousand dollars on their own closed-loop black water reflush so the toilets wouldn't be connected to anything, but they got vastly more value in their property. And so more and more we're saying, look, it's really about the real estate. If Increasingly in America and elsewhere, development is pushing commercial and business users and industry out to the edge, away from the centers, and often there's no reason to be at the centers and the, the land is cheap, and if they can process their own water they get vastly more real estate value and their business is worth more. So, you know, that's what happened. You know, there's a documentary about McDonald's and Ray Kroc came along and they, they thought they were making burgers. He said, no, 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 we're in the real estate business. And in a way, water is turning into a real estate play as it turns from the central facilities away to uh, the, the edge. And is an important additional thing, which is, I don't know how much, how much you've heard about ESG, Environmental Social Governance. No, but much. about, well, okay. Uh, it's there's, there's a quarter of all assets under management in the world today, meaning about twenty two trillion dollars worth of assets, are part of ESG portfolios. And that means these are funds that are looking for investments that are sustainable, that are responsible, that are well governed environmentally and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that's called ESG. And a huge piece of ESG is water management. The problem is, is that there's only so many publicly traded companies doing water management. And so all these funds invest in like eight public utilities in the United States. So that, of course, are vastly overvalued. But now, think of it as more and more businesses become enabled to do their water treatment, then you're Kellogg's. You're not normally in the water business, but now you can become an ESG company by doing your own water treatment. So it's a win. It basically creates more enterprise value and allows more companies to be ESG. So, again, these are good financial reasons to do your own water treatment. We think it's a trend that's here to stay. And, you know, just like how Airbnb transformed hotels and Uber transformed taxis, the hidebound reactive water industry is being transformed by the fast moving business user and we're here to serve them.
0: It shouldn't come down to the municipalities and our our taxes so much to pay for the recycling and all the waste that people are generating. It would make more sense if somehow the businesses were responsible for you know their their one hundred and ten billion plastic bottles that they produce each year because those are ending up in the ocean and in bad places. So how can they take control of that, right? Instead of putting it on us.
1: It's exactly right. There's a there's a perfect example down in Miami-Dade County where they have I think one hundred and 10,000 septic tanks throughout the county. Like many, many counties in America, um, there was urban sprawl, and the expansion into the country happened without any sewage lines because how are you going to do it? As a result, there's 26 million septic systems in America alone, and those things, a significant percentage of them break, and then they, they're they very, very unhealthy. Lots of illnesses come from septic systems, but let's, let's take a look at Miami-Dade, which has an increased flooding problem. More and more the water tables rising and we know why. And the, so, wait, is
0: the ocean is the ocean rising or is the water cuz I heard the water table in Florida was being depleted, no? So my understanding is that the water table is being depleted so much that Florida is actually sinking.
1: Well, the water table is being de- the freshwater table is being depleted yeah. by the intrusion of the of the ocean. So it's becoming mm. a salt water table. And incre- and also increasingly there is flooding from storms, etc. Now I'm not going to go on about, you know, climate change It's not the topic of this podcast, but certainly there's increasing flooding in Dade County and people with, well, you know, wealthy people with wonderful homes are seeing poop on their lawns, right? And so the Yuck. solution that the city's come up with is, well, we'll extend sewage to all 110,000 uh, homes and that's going to cost $8 billion. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, fine. Assu- let's assume you have the, eight, they say six, other people say eight, but let's say you have that money. Well, now you're going to spend 20 years tearing up streets, and it's not going to solve the problem for decades. Why not just give all these homes a tax rebate for putting in their own closed-loop system, taking care of themselves? Stay disconnected. Why try and connect them to a sewage pipe? And the problem – you know, there's no tearing up of, of the streets, and it just happens there, and it happens starting right away. If you give people a financial incentive to do it, you don't have to spend the money, and magically the problem goes away. So that's the kind of trend that's inevitable. Now, you know, we're not going to go lobby the (laughs) Miami-Dade County uh, because, you know, we found that the governments tend to be very, very slow to adopt these things. Mm -hmm. So instead, really, what we're doing is we're working with the landowners, the businesses, the people who stuck with the problem. And in the technology adoption curve, and I came out of the dot-com and I lived, you know, disruptive technology. It always starts with your innovator, the people who were like, oh, this is cool. Then after them are what we call the strategic buyers. And these are the people who see a competitive advantage in spending money on it. There's still a, a small minority, but they're important because they will take a risk for a commercial advantage. So that's the strategic buyer. And that's the stage where we are at with decentralization of water treatment. Now, Classically, what happens then is there is a leap, it's called a chasm, but there's a leap to the mainstream where it goes from the initial strategic buyers who are still few and far between, They're, they're sort of visionaries. And then eventually there's enough critical mass that it becomes a thing. And I don't think we're there yet. I don't think it's become a thing yet, but it's the nature of the technology life cycle that enough of this happens with the innovators and there's enough of them that that are able to make money and and drive competition and and also regulation. I mean, look what happened with uh, two years ago with the uh, the hurricane that that hit uh, the Carolinas and all of the manure lagoons overflowed. Well, that was not a fun event for all the homes in the area. Mm -hmm. Believe me, there's some sneaky stuff. And that is pressure to not leave those things in lagoons and actually treat them on a zero-waste basis. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, when you have manure effluent, you have a combination of water and extremely valuable fertilizer. If you process it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: well, the incentives have not been there to process that that uh, into fertilizer. But if there's pressure on the one hand for regulation, so Purdue chicken has to treat its stuff, and then discover, oh, wow, I can get... A valuable fertilizer out of a zero waste uh, process and get clean water back and not put nitrates in the Ohio River, it's a win-win.
0: Yeah, because otherwise it's just going to cost them a whole bunch of money. So why would they do it unless there's regulations? But then they might go out of business if there are too many regulations. But if they can sell, you know, the the valuable part of the, the fertilizer, then it would be more worth it. I think that's the tricky part is making sure everyone, you know, ends up on top. Uh, we saw this in Canada a lot with the solar panels is that They're doing exactly what you said with the septic system, like why not have the government instead of spending billions of dollars on the sewage system, why not give people the option to do it themselves and give them like a tax rebate or something? And we saw this with solar panels and Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of people did end up getting the solar panels, so that was good, but – When I looked into it, I was doing the math, and it wasn't going to make me money, like, ever, really. (laughs) So it was basically just me spending extra money to, like, do something good for the environment, right? So I ended up deciding not to get it. So I think in that case, like, I'm thinking about the Miami-Dade situation that you're saying. Like, you could maybe have the project funded by taxpayers and have it take 20 years or something and have it all done. Or you could do the other way, which is what you're saying, and have the uh, incentives – So the tax back, tax credit kind of system for people who do it themselves. But then you're saying you have the early adopters who would do it and people who would do it because it's the right thing. People who would do it because they need a new septic system, right? Or they're not happy with their old one or whatnot. But I think you'd get a lot of people who like wouldn't change over, right?
1: Well, no no question about it. And and there's always going to be people dragging, and that's at the end. You yeah. give the incentives, and at the end, eventually, you make it a requirement. But to the point about the financial viability, I mean, I agree that solar panels have been a marginal um, benefit. It started to change as, you know, the economics improve and so forth. But in the case of the water treatment, you know, it, it would cost one-tenth of the cost to put in these, uh, you know, um, closed-loop systems that treated, you know, where everything you flushed went into a treatment system, and then in a holding tank that would be emptied out by a truck once a year. And that is one-tenth of the price of taking a sewage line all the way out to those homes because it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: building sewage lines is unbelievably expensive in modern-day world because um, the cities aren't exactly um, efficient about that, about doing construction, and they have to tear up streets and so forth, permitting issues, uh, environmental um, impact all of that is, mm-hmm. is mitigated by simply installing it at the place of use, and so you're right. You know, adoption is a problem that we see, you know, in any new technology, mm-hmm. especially with this capital required. But that's where the other side of the of the uh, of the coin comes in, where we think there's going to be increasingly water as a service. Right? Water as a service means that. If somebody comes along and Origin Clear wants to put in place this closed loop system for that auto dealership, and it doesn't want to pay the hundred thirty thousand dollars, well, then it can just pay on the meter. It can, and that's through financing. It's relatively simple to do, and increasingly we're going to be seeing that, which is the the business simply agrees to, uh, very similar to the the power per, um, purchase agreements in the solar industry, where they the uh, the business agrees to pay. Um, a certain rate for the next 20 years
0: mm-hmm. and
1: just as if they were paying on the meter for anything else. And that allows the financing of a complex system without the business having to capitalize it upfront. And I think that's going to help a lot where people just go, okay, fine, problem goes away and I'm not going to face fines or whatever it is. Now I have my own in-house system, great. And it's a win-win. So it's going to be a combination of all these things. It is going to take time, but remember that the more this thing starts to happen, and again, it's still early, the more it's going to gather people looking to profit from it. Right now, if you Google modular water systems, you'll get our modular water systems, most of the page, but you'll get a couple of others. There's a couple of other companies that, that work with us in this space, and that's going to increase. It's going to become more and more, the whole idea of prefabricating water systems and trucking them out, dropping them in the ground and connecting them versus building the whole foundation and doing the whole thing is economically very smart. And it's going to be more and more of a trend. So, you know, that is simply going to be a matter of critical mass. And in the meantime, you know, it's a huge industry. It's a trillion dollar industry today. It went, it was half a billion into 2010. So it doubled in 10 years. If Clear, which is a public company, gets even a fraction Tiny fraction of that. We're very happy. It's so very big, for yeah. us to be the pioneer is just fine. it's very
0: cool. 2005, 2006.
1: I was helping a company get on the Nasdaq. It was a software company, and it, it did so successfully. I was the president, chief operating officer, and then I was romanced by a fund to become a CEO. And Laura, don't ever, don't ever let that happen to you. <laughs> don't let them convince <laughs> you to become a CEO. Whatever you do. Uh, but it sounded like a great idea at the time. And we entered this interesting space called Algae. And the company that I launched in 2007 was dedicated to helping algae become a biofuel. I was on every mainstream media. And, you know, uh, Stuart Varney called me Algae Man and all this fun stuff. It, it was just exciting times. Then the price of oil fell through the floor. And algae yeah. overnight became a science experiment. Mm-hmm. Big companies like Solazime just went out of business, Um, but we managed to pivot. And it's because the technology we had to harvest the microscopic algae from the water could be used to harvest the microscopic contaminants in water. And so we were able to go make a sideways move into the water industry.
0: Like to clean it out? Exactly. Interesting.
1: Right. So it was so counterintuitive. One of my guys thought that up. We were sitting there going, wait a minute, algae is going away. It's ridiculous. What are we going to do? And, and Bill Chanesky goes, well, we're, we're we're harvesting new petroleum. Why not harvest the old algae, the the frac water, the hydrocarbons, the same way? And I think, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> we started, you know, with the frac thing. Of course, then the, the oil industry itself, you know, crashed and no they weren't spending money but by then we were firmly in the water industry and we simply expanded out and now we're now we're back and this this week uh, I was announcing that we are going to be helping wash all that sand being used in the frack water in the Permian Basin so there's all kinds of fun opportunities what I learned was that um, the water industry is nothing like high-tech it is very slow moving Probably like the construction industry, like any you know brick and mortar business, it was not at all like what I expected. And that's when we we finally innovated into this area of helping helping water go small, right? Privatizing big water, as we call it, right? Instant infrastructure, and now it's starting to move more like high tech. Now it's becoming what I was expecting and have been accustomed to from my uh, from my career.
0: That's very cool. So, when you say the Permian Basin, I actually had to Google it. So, if you're listening, you don't know it's the uh, the southwestern part of the U.S. and it's like the oil fields, basically, right? Texas, New Mexico. So, so is Origin Clear working with oil companies to clean out their yes, well, fracking water?
1: Well, we have we have a successfully. We had a project a couple of years ago where we disinfected the uh, the, the oil wells to pre- prevent the crude from being sour, and that was a successful experiment. Today, we're focusing in on the boom in uh, fract- fracturing sand. It's called fracturing sand is used to do the fracking to break up the the veins deep down below the tight the tight oil and to so get, get the oil out. That's,
0: it's like injected, comes, right? It's injected into yes. the hole.
1: It's it's injected well. as a slurry. Yeah, and under pressure, and
0: mm-hmm. then it cracks
1: it open. And then the oil comes up with the sand,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, not all the sand, but a lot of it. And then that sand has to be washed so it can be reused. But also now the water used to wash it cannot just be dumped. You know, the oil industry can always dump stuff down in these deep saltwater disposal wells, SWDs. And it's very safe. It goes 20,000 feet down and it goes away forever. The yeah. problem is it goes away forever the Permian Basin is experiencing a major water shortage because Mm -hmm. of all the oil production. Yeah. And it's becoming the Saudi Arabia of America in terms of production, but also in terms of the water problems. And they, they got to reuse their water. So right now we're in an initiative. We're with a group that is very, very excited about doing that. um, The sand wash. And, that's where our technology, electro water separation, is fantastic because you don't have to worry again about those membranes being clogged,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because it, it it basically zaps the water. It has it's it's electrical. It's an electrical thing, mm-hmm. and, um, and you pass it through these tubes, and the stuff separates out. It's very elegant. Works very well. It's been proven. And a- and uh, there's a diagram now, too
0: on Origin Clear. So if you want to check it out, you can see like kind of how the system works on your website, right? Origin Clear. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um so it it works well, it's elegant and uh you know our challenge has always been how do you get adoption? So now things are speeding up. Uh, more and more applications. I'm I'm loving how we're finding all these, you know, uh sort of sparks as things are adopted and eventually we'll turn to critical mass and that's where we have wholesale adoption of these cool new technologies. Mm-hmm. But again, I see more and more initiative being taken by local business to handle their own water needs. And I think that's going to
0: grow. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. This has been so nice to talk to you about all of this because uh, a lot of the things I didn't know, and it's very cool uh, to think about big macro systems, you know? So I think we kind of explored that a little bit of like, should taxpayers be paying for this or should the people who are producing the waste be paying for this? Right? I think that that's uh, right. a very that's good... A big debate. big debate. Yeah. And it, it's uh, it's been nice to kind of go through that with you and... And talk about what you're doing and uh, changing the water industry, and uh, I like it. I think it's it really aligns with what we say in the zero waste world too. So that's great. Um, so thank you so much, Riggs, for joining the show. It's been awesome talking to you. I appreciate it. That was Riggs Eckleberry from Origin Clear talking about the new future of treating wastewater. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown podcast. Oh